brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Hmm? Ah! Hey everybody, I'm Rima. And I'm Pate. And this is Strange Indeed, a podcast dedicated to the show, The Midnight Club. Today we are covering the second episode, titled The Two Danas. What are your general thoughts about this one cuz i'm i'm curious <laughs> um i really really liked it especially oh, the second watch <laughs> the first watch i was a little like huh okay you know i was just like well it's you know different and it's kind of like okay we're taking the story kind of element and really focusing on one person doing this kind of story i was like a lot of the like horror horror wasn't still isn't there and I was kind of like, mm, okay, this show's going to be this different flavor. We'll see what happens. But then mm-hmm. today on my second watch and taking notes and really diving in, I think it hit me a little harder emotionally. I kind of really figured out some of the really? things they were trying to say or do. And I, I think I appreciate oh, it a lot more looking at it through like a, you know, more critical lens or like really trying to pick things apart or not in a bad way, but, you know, just figure what what's going yeah, on and really yeah. kind of focusing on every word and scene and you know story. Hey, it's Mike Flanagan, right? It, it's right. it's not just what's happening here at the surface. With Mike yeah. Flanagan stuff, there's always something a little deeper that, mm-hmm. you know, um if you if you can pick up on it, you know, um really is satisfying. So that I don't know if I made it as far as what you did. So that's, I'm really interested to hear, not that I didn't like it, but as far as like the analysis, um, mm-hmm. I did get some great things though. I, I liked this episode and I'm so glad because I know I was a little bit on the fence last week um, with, with the first episode and, yeah. you know, I think um, I had some good advice from a listener, like, you know, trying to kind of step back and appreciate it for what it is, knowing that. There are young folk, um, which <laughs> me as an older person, <laughs> feel like, oh, gosh, can I identify with some of these younger characters? Um, and can I, you know, uh, find things to relate to? And I, I, I found myself in this second episode, um, I think, having an appreciation, like really getting to know more about these characters. Because mm-hmm. for me, that's like the heart of a lot of Mike Flanagan series when we watch them. I mean, it's... Yeah, the the scares and the the haunts, you know, are fun. I mean, that's pleasing for me because that's definitely what I'm into. But it's always about the characters, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It's very much about getting yourself connected emotionally and invested in these characters. And after two episodes, I'm like, yeah, no, he's going to do that again. We'll definitely (laughs) like these characters. I already... I already have my like favorite son definitely attached to, uh, which even in the first episode, mm-hmm. I was like that too. And I think it's kind of changed, like, or not changed. It hasn't changed. It's like my favorite characters are still very much my favorite characters after the second episode. But then I've had a new appreciation for some of the other ones too. Oh, good. 
Well, I'm interested in in hearing um, your thoughts then, but that's great. I'm I'm definitely appreciating the show a lot more um, and really seeing those tones that make a Mike Flanagan show, you know, what what they are, what we know about them and, um, you know, appreciate about them. So I'm excited to talk about this episode. Um, yeah. How about you go first this week? All right. And I was just going to go ahead before we get into points. I mm-hmm. don't know what your notes and stuff are, but based off of mine, I'm going to give content warning, trigger warning kind of things for listeners for certain conversations. I mean, if you're watching the show, you know what you're getting into. If you've watched this episode, you know what's in there, but you know, things are going to lead to conversations, at least in my notes. Like there's going to be definitely some things that when analysis, you know, analyzing things that, uh, you know, there's certain content and things that will be talked about. And also I might go on a little bit of a, uh, soapbox that people are bothered by it too bad. Um, <laughs> but, we, we like when you're on your yeah. soapbox, Pake, we support that. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully we don't have any listeners who would be offended by the things that we will say, but we'll see. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, I always, I don't look to offend anyone, exactly. but I also do just feel like you have to be true to your but feelings. Also, like, I care about human know? rights a lot. So like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If certain certain subjects are going to be talked about, I'm going to give my thoughts on them, you know, uh, <laughs> to some degree. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. Yeah. I, I, well, I'm excited to hear about it then. I, I appreciate <laughs> uh, the warning for our listeners. Um, yeah. That's, let's see, at Pig Allen. No, let's see. <laughs> air, you can air your grievances there. No. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, please yeah, uh, um, start us off. Yeah, which I said that, and those are in later points that I'll get to more of that stuff. Because, again, it's hard to pick out five really solid points out of an episode that's really singularly focused with maybe a couple little side things. But, um, yeah, I struggle too. So I usually, I think mine are more a couple of big ones and then some small ones. They could probably almost be considered notes, right. but it's totally fine. Look, there's no yeah. right or wrong here, and there's no rules. Nobody's getting, um, you know, uh, whipped or nothing, you know, with a right. with the yardstick. So I start so. with the really small ones, unless like a bigger one is one of your next points, and then I'll move stuff around to just flow. But <laughs> I'm like happy to just to have a fun easy. conversation. So yeah, start easy, <laughs> small. Uh, like I mentioned, favorite characters. So let's just, besides the big one of this episode, uh, let's talk about my boy Kevin. Um, <laughs> I like Kevin. Yeah. Uh, it was. I was like, of course, Kevin's a radio, head, radio, like a Radiohead fan. And then <laughs> I was like, I don't know what I mean by that. It's not anything negative or positive. Like it just somehow it tracks. Like he's just like Radiohead. And I'm like, yeah, no, that you look like a Radiohead fan. And there's again, I don't even know what that means, but it worked. It tracks. Um, yeah. And so we find out his choice for music on his pre need. They were talking about that because Alonka was filling hers out. So he picked Exit Music for a film by Radiohead off of uh. Their 1997 album, OK Computer, which then confused me a little bit, uh, which I I do wonder if that song will pop back up later in an emotional moment in this series, uh, Mm -hmm. since he mentioned it by name. Um, But although I was, what year is this series based in again? Well, and and to be fair, 
I I feel like they are kind of playing a little fast and loose with right, cause, didn't some, we say 95? I think 95 because because that song came out in 97. So then I was like, hang on. <laughs> yeah, I, I I'd have to try. I thought I saw something about you know where it's just more. It's not going to yeah. be super true to like the years and the dates of things coming out. There was yeah. I remember seeing something about that, and I think that's kind of how some of Mike Flanagan's and other I think there's probably been other shows or movies too that if you know it's certain set in a certain time period, it, it's not a hundred percent accurate. It's it's just yeah. more of a flavor, if you will. So you know, yeah. hopefully nobody's nitpicking too hard about any. Right. Um, it was. Any of you that. know, I'm gonna get too nitpicky with it, but it was something I noticed when he said exit music, and I'm like. I thought this was in like 95 and I was like, that's, that's mm-hmm. off of the 97 album. And it's like, okay, um, <laughs> we'll roll with it. A little, uh, little flux in the, in the timeline there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a yeah separate timeline where albums came out in different years. The Radiohead got together earlier in this timeline. And so their albums came out earlier. That's what we'll go with. It's in, in the uh, Flanniverse. Yeah. We're gonna, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and then I do like the conversation kind of around that where uh, Alonka kind of clears things up with Kevin a little bit. That, you know, this whole shot in the dark with the Julia Jane thing is how she landed on this place, but like she's still a realist. I, like She's like, I'm not putting full hope and faith into like a weird, strange story. It's like, you know, yes, it led me here, but also I'm not just like assuming that that's going to happen. Like, I'm a realist. I'm smart. I know what's going on. And I like that he was just very understanding and cool about it. He's like, yeah, totally. Don't even have to explain yourself to me. Yeah. Cool. Okay. <laughs> Good guy, Kevin. Uh, he was so nice about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, yeah, I like him so much. He's just, he's sweet. He's very sweet. Uh, even, again, the end of the episode, uh, Alonka's spending way too long trying to break into an unlocked door. And <laughs> he just, like, finally <laughs> kind of awkwardly approaches her about the whole, like, well, yeah, I was kind of following you, but then I felt like it would be too weird to say anything but then i kept following you and then it got even weirder and then finally i just had to embrace the weirdness and now here we are uh i just uh, i love i love their banter because it's like awkwardly cute and it's just (laughs) Mm -hmm. i I enjoy seeing him on screen and in their conversations like he's just very like understanding and really cool collected guy who's just like in a role with whatever and he's just there to like support anyone uh yeah which is weird because again i do like the tv time stuff so i don't get a go ahead so i don't get spoiled but like episode to episode but based off of these two episodes i've seen a lot of people online saying that he's like they're getting a weird vibe from him and they don't trust him and they think he's up to something and i'm like i don't get it i don't see it Uh (laughs) do you think and i don't know that i i'm not saying i agree with that but i wonder do you think it has something to do with in Ilanka's like visions that she had, he was that, the first thing that she saw before even the that shadow. When yeah. when yeah, the she kept seeing that creepy old lady sitting on that bench that he was sitting on, like in that that exact same space. I think she's seen that twice. Now I'm not mm-hmm. saying that he's a creepy old lady um, <laughs> or anything like that, he's, but it's he's, just he's it's a creepy weird. old lady that crawls around <laughs> on the floor and ceiling like spider. We've established this, <laughs> right? But it's 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 yeah. it's interesting though that that's what she keeps seeing this yeah. this vision and then it like becomes Kevin and you know so it's yeah. like is there some type of connection or something or I don't know I, and I don't know that's just something that I thought of I was like well it's interesting how she keeps seeing this well I'm not gonna say every time but a couple of times I think uh that she has seen this 
creepy old lady and it's been where Kevin is. Yeah. So uh, maybe I mean, it's I, that. I wouldn't be surprised if there ends up being something weird or like a twist about him. Mm-hmm. Like we even talked about like maybe somebody's already dead. And I was like, well, Kevin seems like the best pick for that uh, for some reason, whatever reason. But yeah, I don't think he, even if there is something weird or supernatural about him or there's a big twist. I still have a hard time thinking that it would be like a negative way. Like I just like, even if there is like something like that that happens, I'm like, I still picture him as like the good guy, like no matter what happens. Like right now, right. I just don't have, I have a hard time imagining him being like malevolent in any way. Which would make it an even better twist. True. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying he is. I'm not getting a creepy, yeah. uh, malevolent or any type of vibe like that from him at all which again would make for a great twist because mm -hmm. i feel like i wouldn't see it coming but um i don't get any of that from him at all he just seems very kind and tolerant and welcoming you know to alanka you know being the new girl you know right. so i, I like, like he's him just too. the if i was like back in like you know high school you know, junior, senior age, I'd be like, that's the guy I'd want to hang out with. That's somebody I want as my friend. Like, I, yeah. I would want to get to know him and hang out with Absolutely. him. He seems really cool. <laughs> mm -hmm. Agreed. Yeah, like Kevin. Is that all that you had for your yeah, first one? Just, okay, okay. Just just, I, I didn't want to tramp on. Shout on. out one time to Kevin. That's <laughs> Gotta give idea. him a shout out. He's a great character. Um, I, I'm not familiar. I don't know. I feel like, um, I don't know. I haven't quite figured him out just yet. Um, mm -hmm. I do think he's a really good and kind, genuine character, and I don't think there's anything malevolent, but I don't know. I'm looking for a little more, but maybe we'll mm -hmm. get that because it seems like each episode is wanting to focus a little bit yeah. on each. I think the first one was kind of an introduction just in general to the, to, um, you know, the hospice and the kids itself and just kind of, you know, um, uh, Alanka herself and her story a little bit and how she ended up there. And now I think we're going to kind of get maybe some centric episodes, maybe. So mm -hmm. I'm interested to learn a little bit more about him and also like what kind of story he's going to tell. Yeah. So that's awesome. Well, mine is kind of short and sweet, too, but it's something that I noticed in watching this episode. Um, is there's this theme of grief mm -hmm. in this show very much like every other Mike Flanagan series <laughs> that we have watched. There's this heavy underlying tone of grief mm -hmm. and how the characters are dealing with the grief in their lives. And it's interesting, I think, in this show that instead of them experiencing a grief of someone that they've lost. And I don't want to talk a lot about the other shows and, and what those characters experience as far as grief, because it can be, it's obviously going to be very spoilery and right. shockingly I'm hearing there's still some folks who haven't watched Haunting of Hill House or Bly Manor or Midnight Mass. And I oh. am shocked. Get on tell it. You. Flanniverse is such a great place to jump into. So much to look into. And, watch. and perfect time of year too. A perfect mm -hmm. time of year. Um, so I don't, want to spoil anything um and hopefully that's not too spoilery to um just mention that those shows also deal with like a theme of grief but what's um interesting in this show is that it's not necessarily about uh like a person that these 
this group of kids have lost. It's they're in this therapy session and they're talking about things that they're grieving for uh, for when they for when they die. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Amish is talking about, you know, he's going to he's grieving the PlayStation. Right. You know, I'm like, dude, I'm right there. Yeah, that's I, totally I, I legit. Feel it. Yeah. yeah, that's <laughs> All the totally video legit. games and consoles that he won't get to play. I'm like, Tch. Yeah, no, that's real. I feel you, man. <laughs> yeah, he's naming off all those consoles, and I'm like, yes, man, yes, I have have all of those and have enjoyed all of those, and I would also be very bummed out to know because at the time, if you go back, you know, keep in mind how you know how far back this goes, uh, you know that the um, how revolutionary um, the PlayStation was at the time, mm-hmm. and if you are a big gamer and what that would mean, and I love, you know, that they're. I thought that was kind of a unique way to kind of talk about those things. Right. And that they're open about it um, and talking about the things that they're going to miss, um, you know, things that they either knew are coming up. Like I know later he mentions when they're in there in the library making those uh, paper cranes and he mentions his sister's wedding, you know, things like mm-hmm. that. Um, so I really enjoyed that. I thought that was that sounds weird to say I enjoyed that. Um, but I just thought it was an interesting um, take that this theme of grief isn't necessarily coming from that they are grieving for a person that they've lost in their lives and how it's affected them and their lives. Uh, but you know, the things that they're, because they're dying, you know, they're all Mm -hmm. dying. Um, and they're not grieving for themselves or someone else. They're grieving for the things that they're going to miss out on once they're gone. And I liked that it was open and inclusive and that no answer was considered like too shallow or, looked down on or yeah. considered wrong you know like oh gosh you're grieving a playstation how freaking lame is that you know there was like nothing like that it was it was all valid and i liked yeah. you know that dr stan had that open conversation and like it's all valid you know what yeah. you're feeling is valid life is really nothing but just made up of experience after experience and so i think it's perfectly normal and okay like to mourn experiences that you want and know you're not getting yeah yeah. I mean, I'm I'm certainly can't say I've shared the experience, but you know, if you just try to imagine, I guess, and put yourself in in those shoes of of and because I was trying to do that thinking, "Oh gosh, yeah, you know, I guess I've never thought of it that way. What if you were in that situation? What are the things that, you know, are going to come, you know, in the future that you're going to miss out on?" You know, um so I I I really liked that that scene. I thought it was a, a great insight. You know, to the characters, I think to Dr. Stanton and her um, her methods, you know, of therapy with the kids. You know, this is it's pretty heavy and pretty deep. I mean, anytime you're talking about, um, you know, people being terminal, it's, you know, it's heavy. And now you, you, you have it be kids, you know, yeah. kids that, you know, I mean, no one deserves to be terminal, but definitely kids who have barely had a life, you mm-hmm. know, to be teenagers. It's, you know, it's sad, you know. Um, so I, I liked all of that and it h- helps them get through what they're going through. So, yeah. But yeah, ongoing theme of grief that uh, Mike Flanagan likes to give us. <laughs> so, what's your next point? All right, next one. Another. Very quick one, and it's not even so much a point. It's just um, th- things that I noticed, or at least <laughs> just a scene that I watched and was like, 
hmm, I don't know what this means, but I want to talk about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I have a lot of answers either, but I think it's fun yeah, exploring and talking about it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Which is it's a quick one, but it's uh, Alonka in the Woods. Um, yes, that's my next one too. Nice. Uh, where she meets Shasta, which is Sanskrit for teacher. And I wonder if she gave herself that name. Maybe she had a different name before. Maybe mm. she's Julia Jane. Am I reaching? I don't know. Uh, who knows? <laughs> Did you copy off my notes? <laughs> Eyes on your own paper, Pate. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> uh, but yeah, because there's so many questions about like, well, who's because none of the other kids even know about her or have seen her. So then that leads to like, well, what does that mean? But then also, again, this whole, I mean, Julia Jane is a very big, you know, mystery. And it's Samantha Sloyan, which is so good to see her again. But it's like, obviously, she's playing some kind of a big part. You don't cast her to be a one off. Hi, I'm the neighbor. Bye. So I would hope not. Right. She was outstanding in Midnight Mass. She was. Yeah. Bev Keen for anyone that. That watched mm-hmm. that with us. Yeah. Without spoiling things for those who haven't. Yeah. <laughs> Already a, a much more likable, a different character uh, than Bev effing Keen. But um, yeah, <laughs> that's all I'll say. Uh, so it's good to see her be pleasant. Uh, <laughs> yes. And mysterious. Yeah. She's very mysterious. But then also she's kind of got this. Uh, yeah. I don't mean this in an offensive way for once. I'm not trying to. No. Uh, <laughs> Hippy dippy is a word that kind of goes with her, not in a bad way, because I think the it can be, you know, fine. Yeah. But that's really, I mean, she's very into the, all the healing properties of things and places and. Like a natural. Yeah. Um, uh, medicine. Mm-hmm. And just very focused on those kind of things, which, I mean, we've seen this, a lot of that's been going around at Brightcliff and even Alonka's kind of. Whether she believed in them or not before this, it's she's grasping at straws in kind of a positive way. She's like, yeah, I am prob- I'm, I'm dying. So what's the harm in just trying everything that exists, whether I believe in it or not, and just see what happens. You know, throw it at the wall and see what sticks, right? Yeah. It's nothing to lose. Totally. And so she's just picking up on these things that uh, Shasta is saying and being like, all right, cool, great. I'll try it. Why not? You know, let's. You know, go through all that. So the water, awesome. The chamomile, awesome. Let me do that. Healing vortex, probably don't believe in that, but cool. I'll sit here for a while, you know, see what happens. Um, yeah. And, and just going along with it. So she goes, she picks up the, the chamomile and she's collecting that. And that was the other little mystery that there, of course, when she's picking the chamomile is this like hourglass carved into a tree, which. Didn't mm, like that. Don't know anything about that. Don't have any clue what that means. Couldn't tell you anything. Don't even have speculation at this point other than. I'm curious, and I bet we'll find out later. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, yeah, I I was intrigued. Like I said, she's uh, my next on my list as well, and I I don't have a lot to say either because it's like we just it was very quick. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel, I mean, the hair color seems to track. I feel mm-hmm. like even her her face. Uh, she could very easily, you know, based on um, the story Alanka uh, told uh, last week about Julia Jane, uh, she could very well pass for an older Julia Jane. I mm-hmm. think the a- um, the age even tracks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and why not? Uh, maybe she, 
maybe there was something about Brightview, and and I don't know the whole thing. Like, yeah, what did she really have cancer? Was she really healed? Uh, was it a misdiagnosis? You know, there's a lot we don't know or understand, and maybe we'll get answers on that later. Uh, but is there something about Brightview that keeps her well? Maybe there's something about that. Maybe that's why she still lives so close. Maybe there is something about that water. Maybe mm-hmm. there is something about this healing vortex. I don't. I don't know. I know that is sounds oh, okay. Yeah, we'll just shake our head in agreement. And, <laughs> okay. Yep, that sounds good. Thanks. Um, but then, yeah, that weird thing carved in the in the tree, and knowing that she's like, oh, the best chamomile. It's like she knew or something. Like, was she directing Alonka to that? Um, you know, knowing that that was there, did she want her to see that carving know, in the tree? Um, because I mean, she directed. She's like, "Oh, that's you know the best chamomile is like a quarter mile up that way, back towards the the mansion." Um, and and it's completely safe. And she said it's completely safe. And she said maybe even what what is it more than safe? Is that what yeah. she said? Something. And I'm like, well, what like does that, that yeah. mean? Yeah, I just took I it to say maybe she believes it also has some kind of healing properties or something. Maybe. <laughs> uh, so I mean, I know chamomile has like calming properties. You know, like chamomile tea. You know, you can have that like in the evenings, I think, if I'm not mixing up my um, uh, (laughs) herbal teas (laughs) incorrectly, because I don't drink a lot of herbal tea, but I feel like I always eat chamomile tea. Oh, have class in the evening, you know, it'll help you chill uh, before Mm -hmm. bed. Um, So I don't know, maybe she was trying to direct her towards that. She seemed to really like Alonka, uh, called her smart, called her bright. Um, So I'm intrigued. But yeah, I, I... I don't think she's really Shasta. <laughs> There's a lot more to that character that we've got to unearth, I think. Yeah. I think so too. And I thought she was great. It was uh I really like that actress's voice. Mm-hmm. Uh she's um she's just intriguing and fascinating. So it was really great to see uh that actress again and so soon here in the story. Uh I'm in, I'm definitely intrigued and can't wait for more. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that was that was my next one too. So go ahead and and roll in. <clears throat> All right. Uh, then the next one. Let's let's get a little more uh, serious. Uh, oh boy. And it's here's the soapbox point. Um, which again it shouldn't be, but we'll see. Uh, again, <laughs> is uh, I just call it like the Spence situation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the scene and aftermath of Spence cutting his fingers while doing the uh, paper cranes, which yikes, just physically is just a visceral thing. I don't like body gore or stuff like that, even though it was really small. Mm-hmm. For some reason, like I was just squeamish the entire conversation leading up to it, knowing it was coming on my second watch. I was like, I can't watch this again. I don't want to. I don't. It doesn't even show anything like it's not even that bad. But I was like, I just don't. I don't want it. <laughs> I don't like averting I'm my telling eyes. You, those paper Ow. cutters are no joke. Uh, I remember using those in school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then the very personal thing and the conversation that comes after that, of course, uh, Spence, we then find out, is dying of AIDS. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a cut like that can be a pretty major thing for him. Uh, and then, of course, there's the whole stigma that still followed AIDS around at that time. Um, yeah. Assumptions that are made, discrimination and prejudices, still plenty of evil people who think those things today. Um, but yeah, you know, unfortunately, uh, but especially back then, you know, as 
we've kind of progressed as a society over time and things have gotten better. But yeah, especially in this time frame that they're in, I mean, the 80s, <laughs> you know, it was kind of a big follow that. And then still going into the 90s and mid 90s stuff here. I mean, it's still there's a lot of stigma and prejudice about that. And so luckily we see that Spence really does have a great support team, you know, around him. The other patients here at Brightcliff and Mark, especially. Um, mm-hmm. And then I loved. Anya for saying what she did. I know there's a lot of people really harking on her for being way too hard on Alanka and don't like her because they think she's too cruel or mean. And yeah, uh, you know, it is a little harsh. I I, I feel bad that Alanka does feel like she's being accused of, of certain thoughts or just of not doing the right thing. I don't want her, you know, I, I hate that she feels like she's doing something wrong, but also. I don't think that she did. No, I don't, not at all. I didn't take her reaction to finding out about uh, Spence in a negative mm-hmm. tone. I think she was just like, yeah. oh, well, I didn't know. Right. Um, so it's because there's a lot. I'm sure there's a lot of people who think Anya was probably too harsh. I haven't looked ahead in listener feedback. <laughs> I don't know if people said anything. I know other people online have. Uh, but honestly, I really appreciate and. And I'm glad uh, for Anya doing that the way she did, because it was very upfront. Like, we're not going to tolerate any preconceived notions or anything like that about Spence. You know, he deals with the vilest of people because of his diagnosis already. This is not the place to add anything that could even be slightly misconstrued as judgmental or, you know, worried or pity or anything like that. This is not the place for that. And we're going to shut that shit down the second we even think it's happening. And I mm-hmm. do appreciate that. Uh, yeah. You know, the the line she says, you know, so I could go out and get a burger and I don't have to deal with the things he does. Says, Nobody's going to tell me that bone cancer is a punishment from God. Nobody's going to tell Sandra that she deserves lymphoma. But he has to hear that shit and worse every day. From, you know, and I'm like, yeah, that's again with that stigma. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I was like, is it a little harsh on Alonka because she's already dealing with some shade from Anya? Sure. But also. Defend people with the strength of conviction like that because you set that tone hard and firm from the start. From the you know the start, and we're good. Like we we understand. Here's what here's what we're doing, and I actually did really appreciate that. <laughs> I did as well. I mm-hmm. I do. While I didn't see uh, Ilanka's reaction warranted Anya to be as harsh with her, I also at the same time also appreciated, like you said how she was very well i think she's protective of all of them but very protective of Mm -hmm. spence too and like you said immediately just shut it down like before you even go or do anything she's like setting the tone right there yeah you know that this is how it's it's gonna go and you know we won't put up put up with that at all so i did appreciate that because i thought you know Everybody should have someone like Anya a little bit, kind of taking it <laughs> for you on your side like that. So I, I do. I was like, oh, gosh, you were just a little harsh. And it didn't help that they had already kind of, you know, had some interactions that were already, you know, right. um, kind of rubbing each other the wrong way. And Anya had been lashing out at her the entire episode. So this just kind of added to it. But I, I really did appreciate, I appreciate a strong character like Anya, who's very protective. I, I find the people that I care about, I'm as just, a, just as protective and right. 
I think when you are that protective, you might come across as very harsh, especially for people who don't know you, right? And right. I'm sure that's what Alanka was experiencing. Everyone else, I think, was like, yeah, that's that's right. But for Alanka being new and not used to Anya yet and, have, and you know, Anya hasn't quite warmed up to her yet. <laughs> but I, I, I totally appreciated that. I'm, I'm, I'm like you. I've, I appreciated that out of, out of Anya because, um, you know, a, a lot more people could use someone like her in their life. Absolutely. Um, and, and then I like with Spence that not only does he have the fierce defender there, but then I love the support he has on the other side. And that is with Mark, uh, Zach yes. Gilford. Again, just, Give me all the warm fuzzies uh, because then that's kind of the, the flip side of that is he, the way he's comforting Spence and is so caring, but like in a very laid back, like older brother kind of way is what I thought of where the, he's, it's full of support and understanding, but there's also a little joking in there and also constantly telling him he needs to watch his favorite movie. Uh, <laughs> it's I a big interview that. with the vampire fan, yeah. which I still really need to start the new series. Um <laughs> But yeah, that that conversation was really emotional and and awesome. Uh, and it seems here we kind of get a little reveal that uh, as far as I can read between the lines here, Mark and Spence both are gay. Uh, I wondered. And that's how I read into it. And it seems like they can kind of bond over that. But then it made me wonder. I was like, okay, maybe that's why Spence is kind of cold to Mark a little more publicly. With all that he's had to deal with, if that's the case, you know, whether just being gay in the 90s, you know, not easy. Mm -hmm. um, and then also with the AIDS and the stigma and everything around that, maybe there's just this kind of deep-seated embarrassment or shame that he holds around other people. And so Mark probably being, and again, I, I'm not sure we don't have 100% confirmation, but what I read through that conversation, I think, because I mean, Mark's sitting there going like, mm, but Antonio Banderas, right? <laughs> so, you know... <laughs> Armand. <laughs> right. So I, I feel like maybe that's just kind of, again, that shame that sets in is seeing Mark maybe is just kind of an openly gay, proud person and seeing him live his life and not having to deal with the same things that Spence is, not deal with the same stuff. Or, you know, at least on the outside, it seems like, but he's got it all together and he doesn't feel like everybody hates him. And he's, you know, and so maybe there's a little bit of that, you know, kind of judgment in a way that is like i hate him because he's everything that i wish i was that I, the, he's living the life i wish i could be living and yeah so again when they're just together in private it's a lot more warm and it's a lot more but but it, it's harder for him to be himself around mark who's being himself i'm just reading into things i don't know but that's kind of the vibe i got from that because we were wondering last week what, what what is spence's deal with mark so maybe something like that i mean even today, it happens. So definitely back in that day, you know, there's a lot of terrible people who will everything that they do and say is just they, who instill those kind of feelings of shame and guilt and fear and self-loathing and all that in young queer people. And it's sad. So I'm sure he's just bottling a lot of that up and it's coming out kind of in rage in places maybe it shouldn't. So it was good to see a nice conversation between the two of them. I agree. Mm -hmm. I agree with all of that. They were actually one of my points too. So I'll just add, add to what you said, which was beautifully said. And 
I don't know if I got so much the warm and fuzzies on the side of Spence. He still looked like he had a bit of a wall up when mm-hmm. Mark was uh, stitching up his finger. Uh, but I did. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Zach. Zach. Mm. I just I love him. Um, and I, I'm kind of scared for his character, which um, maybe I'll talk about later. But mm. I just one. I love that he loves Interview with a Vampire. So <laughs> get that out of the way. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I love his compassion. I mean, clearly he's in the right role uh, yeah. in, in profession. And I can't imagine, you know, I know I'm, I'm not the right person that could, you know, be in that type of job in healthcare and then also having to, to be around term, terminally ill kids in a hospice. That cannot be an easy line of work at all. And I could not begin to imagine mm-hmm. what that is like. So he has this tremendous amount of compassion for, you know, the kids that are there. And I love that because it comes through so clearly. Um, and I do like their banter back and forth as Mark is trying to convince him to, you know, I guess what for the tenth time or something, you know, he's been trying to talk him into watching interview with the vampire. So it's really nice that this isn't just the first time <laughs> and first time they've had this conversation. And, you know, Mark right. is really nice to Spence. And I love that, you know, like you said, he reassured him that his illness isn't a punishment for being gay. Yeah. You know? Uh and but it still doesn't clear up for me why Spence angrily ran away from him. In the first episode, I, I I like your theory. I think that's probably a pretty good theory to go on because I still don't know that I understand it because he still seemed like he had a wall up. Like Mark, regardless of whatever uh, feelings Mark or sorry Spence has for him, um, he knows he's a little standoffish with him. He is still very open. He's still conversing with him. And he's doing a really good job because, you know, hey, getting your finger stitched up, that's no fun. So he's talking to him and just like trying to distract him from what he's doing because, you know, that's no fun. Um, But I love that he talks him through it and has that compassion for him. And he's telling him like, hey, these rubber gloves, that's for you, not for me. That's that's protecting you from me. Uh, you know, that, that sterilized needle was not, you know, for Spence. It was so he, you know, so it didn't infect Spence. Yeah. You know, that, hey, there's nothing wrong with you. You, like, aren't, in quote, infected. You're, you're not going yeah. to hurt me. I'm more worried about hurting you, you know, right. um, or, like, contaminating, you know, you with, you know, like, bacteria and getting an infection or something. So. I you know I I really enjoyed that and and it really just softened me if if that's even possible even more towards Mark's character <laughs> because he yeah. really is passionate. It's not just a scene there with Spence, but also how he was really sweet to agree to squeeze um, that girl Tristan, which we hadn't met, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and who seems very very ill. She seems to be segregated from the rest of the group, not in a bad yeah. way, but just she looks I'm more assuming severely it's another... ill immune disorder she's probably got another immunity thing where it's for her Mm -hmm. own protection she's quarantined away from catching anything from she probably has like zero immunity left to anything so he's got the mask on and the the gown and all the very heavy and it's again for the patient not for you it's we want to make sure we're not passing anything along to to her 
Exactly. And knowing that, you know, she's not able to go into the room and see her herself or, you know, um, just so she doesn't pass anything on to her, any germs or anything, if she has like no immune system, like you said, but it was really sweet how compassionate he was in that situation as well, which probably means he's going to die in a horrible death. So. (laughs) 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 So. Mark forever. (laughs) <laughs> love love Zach Guilford I, and it's hilarious because I just watched this episode of, of um, Midnight Club and had it on my mind and knew I was getting ready to do some prep and I do this I, I think I've mentioned it a time or two here this is so off base of what we're talking about but talking about Zach Guilford I have uh, I am a repeat watcher of Grey's Anatomy and mm-hmm. look don't judge me people it's just <laughs> I can't not watch the show. It's just, I've seen it so many times. Now. I've done so many rewatches. It's just a part of my life and part of who I am. Deal with it. Uh, but he was on an episode, Zach Guilford was on an episode of Grey's Anatomy, and it just happened to pop on like last night oh, nice. while I was, I always have it on at nighttime when I go to bed. It's like my lullaby. It helps put me to sleep. <laughs> um, so it, it had come on and I, I popped up and I'm like, oh, this is Zach Guilford episode. He's so fantastic. And he's really great in that episode. And it really just it, it, it was like a little bit of kismet knowing that we were getting ready to I was going to be doing my prep and we were getting ready to um, talk about tonight's episode when we got a little bit more of him. The second yeah. episode, because we got just a teeny tiny little bit of him in the first episode. So he was definitely mm-hmm. on my mind. And then he was on that episode. And I'm like, ah, the universe, you know, is put him out there for me. So. I just thought that was kind of funny. But yeah, um, I loved everything that you said um, because, you know, we had gotten a little farther in the 90s. You know, I remember, you know, very well, um, you know, we had gotten a little farther. People had gotten a little bit more educated. There was definitely work towards lifting that stigma. Mm -hmm. But we still were definitely not there at the time. Yeah. I mean, we're still not really all the way there today, uh, mm-hmm. but definitely wasn't there in the time. So I, I agree with everything that you said um, and knowing how hard it probably was uh, for Spence in that time. Right. Cause yeah, he's not just dealing with a terminal illness. He's dealing with all of the stigma and prejudice that comes with it. That whether, and again, we're based on their conversation, I'm reading into it, assuming, okay, well, if Mark is talking to him about what guys in this movie are hot, then maybe, you know, they're bonding that way, but also it could be Spence might not be gay and he's dealing with, and he's dealing with the prejudices of this illness based on, and he may have caught it another way. And now he's dealing with being, you know, looked down on for something he's not even, and that could even be a reason why he walls himself away that he is. Cause we do have Mark, you know, I had friend, I had two friends who caught it because they were sharing needles and, you know, so he's, you know, it's not just a gay thing. So I could be reading wrong into Spence's sexuality. I don't know. We don't know enough about him yet. But Right. Yeah, I thought that too. I was like, well, because I, I kind of felt that too. I was like, wow, he's, you know, is okay. Could Mark be gay? Because he's kind of going on about, you know, Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt mm-hmm. and, and Antonio Banderas, you know, in, in this movie. And they're all, in my opinion, fantastic. I like that movie. Again, <laughs> don't judge me. I don't care. I like it. Um, but I thought really well casted and really well done. And so does does that imply uh, it doesn't have to at all? Maybe he just really enjoys those characters in the movie. Um, could Spence B 
be gay and that's why he's trying to make him comfortable or something and they're trying trying to find something to bond about i don't know but yeah, yeah. It, it could just be you know because it was always known especially early on as like a, a gay disease which is absolutely mm. terrible it's, jeez yeah. it just pisses me off um <laughs> to even say that but yeah. that's that's what it what it was thought of in the day and what you would hear. And it was so ignorant. Um, and then we got educated and learned that we didn't, but in the time it was still, there was that stigma that, well, mm -hmm. if, if, if you were HIV positive or had AIDS, then, well, you must've been gay when no, yeah. there were other reasons why someone could have it. Just like Mark was saying, there were lots of people who were ill and got it through blood transfusions, things like that. Yeah. You know, um, so very ignorant to to call it that. And maybe that's what he was kind of dealing with. Maybe people making that assumption if they learned of his diagnosis and just made that assumption and having to deal with the stigma, you know, of, of that um, on top of his illness. So, um, yeah, hopefully we'll get some more insight into that. Mm -hmm. Really great point. Uh, well. Mark was my next point, of course, about him and Spence and also his um, short little time there that we got to meet Tristan, this new character. Um, so what is your next point? All right. Uh, next one, which again, we'll go to a more <laughs> content warning place. That's why. Um, <laughs> Keeping us on our toes side. tonight, Pake. <laughs> right. Uh, but I'm just going to go with the uh, titular point. The two Danas. Um, mm. Anya's story at this particular meeting of the Midnight Club. A short version, recap it. Uh, you know, a girl who was the seemingly perfect child, wanted to experience more fun in life, made a wish with the devil to get a copy of herself, and they both could feel and experience everything the other did simultaneously. Obviously, this goes way off the rails. It gets pretty dark. There's substance abuse, all these other things going on. Uh, ends up kind of ruining the original Dana's life, except they both think they're the real Dana and they share this plan to kill one another. The survivor loses a leg, uh, still has quite the shambled life to put back together and doesn't even know if she's the original or the copy. So <clears throat> that's the very short recap version of it. Uh, but I then like more that analysis. Story. Yeah, uh, <laughs> it, was, it was really, yeah, something. Mm -hmm. And at first, just on like first watch and like, face value i'm like that's a very creative story that's really interesting you know i've seen a lot of those kind of tropes before and different things but it's very unique in its own way mm -hmm. but it was really on the second watch i really started digging into the metaphors and oh boy analyzing things a little bit um so a couple of just fun notes first uh <laughs> <laughs> before kind of getting into that stuff uh first it was quite the ranged performance from ruth cod uh who played uh, Anya slash Dana uh, in mm -hmm. this story, uh, which according to IMDb, this is her debut acting role, which I was like, what? Wow. This is She was like makeup department for a couple of things, but this is the first time she's been an on-screen actress as far as I can tell. That's fantastic. Uh, which, yeah, it was surprising. And her next uh, role will be in The Fall of the House of Usher, which for those Ooh. who don't know, is the next Flanagan project. So The next in the plan first, <laughs> yeah. Interesting. And then, of course, throughout this casting wise, Heather Langenkamp as the devil. Wow. So good. Uh, Very good. Yeah. <laughs> I loved that. Nice little surprise. <laughs> she done it well. Right. With those same red glowing eyes that Anya saw in the living shadow, which we can talk about later. Uh, 
I mean, there's like some fun moments and still, you know, they inject some humor into it, of course, like that, you know, and it's like the devil really. And it's like, she's not what people say. And then they cut right back to the story. Well, I'm not what people say. <laughs> I was like, that's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> I like that. And then Dana Prime, as she calls her, uh, just totally vibing out while studying on the bed was really funny to me. Just banging her head like to the music and like, going to the beat while her mom's like, you okay, honey? Yeah, I'm great. I love you. I love everything. Um, <laughs> very fun. Um, but yeah, the, the meat behind it. I, I was trying to figure out and I really tried to analyze and, and kind of break things down what the meaning of this story is. Because we've seen that maybe these stories aren't going to be just ooh spooky story, but they're really going to let us into who these people are and the characters. Mm-hmm. And so not just the character of Anya, but I was like, okay, what is the point she's trying to get across first? The dichotomy, uh, dichotomy of man, right? Uh, but for real, like we all have this good and evil within us, and maybe it's best to accept ourselves as one whole instead of separating. I don't know what that means. I'm just throwing out thoughts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was some religious or really non-religious uh, meanings in there too, uh, with the devil character. I mean, the whole you know, God never answers, and even then, with the devil following that up with you know, I don't hurt people. I never hurt people. And I think at least from the viewpoint of Anya here, maybe it's saying, you know, it's, it's not God or the devil, but it's the consequences of our own actions. Good or hurtful rely solely on us. It's you that lives your life and it's you that makes the decisions that you make. And you can try to blame it on a, a higher power or an evil underworld power. But really at the end of the day, you are who makes you and the choices are yours. You are the person that you are, you know, uh, <laughs> very good. And I, 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 I appreciate that. Uh, would I agree or disagree with that? Just to say, no, I can. <laughs> I know um, <laughs> where I fall on that. Uh, but yeah, so maybe that's the thought there is, you know, the ability for good or evil is always with us. Uh, and then, you know, maybe there's more of a personal meaning to Anya. Maybe she was a very perfect girl, quote unquote growing up and then now looking at things in hindsight, maybe she's wishing she could have experienced being a little bit more free in life. Mm-hmm. Maybe not to the extreme we see with the Danas, but maybe she's kind of mourning a life and experiences that she was always too afraid or meek to have. And now it's too late. Uh, Cause again, group therapy we're talking about is grieving things. So maybe this story is her grieving the life she never really had. Uh, I wondered that too. Yeah. Yeah. And then where it gets a little darker is then I started wondering what are the, if Anya is telling the story of herself, but giving it a different name of Dana and kind of changing things and making it, you know, more supernatural, which is kind of what Alonka did with Julia Jane, took a real story and then flourished it a little bit, embellished it, you know, a little flair. So then I'm wondering, okay, is Anya doing the same thing? What's real? What's just part of the story? So I wonder, maybe Anya really was a ballet dancer before. Maybe this is part of her life in there. I mean, yeah, the bone cancer would have been found after she broke her foot on stage. Mm-hmm. Then they would have figured that out, which would lead to amputation, but it had already spread. It was too late, whatever. But maybe, you know, breaking her foot, <laughs> her bones being brittle because of, you know, things like that is how she found bone cancer. So maybe that's true. We don't know. Uh, was the character of Bill real or at least based on a friend that she had that she pushed away out of? this self-loathing and uh, fear and anger and everything that had come around her. Um, 
then of course the scenes, yeah, she's cutting herself, self-harming in the story. It's to get the attention of Dana too, who's kind of drowned her out. But I mean, maybe she turned to things like that to self-harm and things like that after her diagnosis. Uh, and this is her way of kind of talking about that in story form, maybe even worse. I mean, who knows the drugs and the things, maybe she just tried to, to finish things off and it didn't go as <laughs> planned. And so this whole in the story of her parents sending her away to rehab, where did her parents send her to Brightcliff because they, could, they didn't know how to deal with her depression and things anymore. There's a lot of, you know, what, what part of this story is really thoughts and feelings and things that Anya went through. There's maybe a lot of her real story hidden within there where she has this feeling, you know, a part of her is alive, but a part of her is dead and in hell and which is better. Um, it's it's heavy once I really break a lot of that down. And then I'm just like, yeah, man. Uh, which again, I, I think Anya is one of my absolute favorite characters. Even this is like, whatever parts of this is real, she's been through some shit. And I think even like what Kevin says, it's like, there's something else there. Like she's covering up with a lot. There's a lot of pain and there's a lot of things that, are, that this hardness is covering. But once she thaws a little bit, you really get to know that she is a good person. And so I think we're just starting to scratch the surface. And this story was a good way of her kind of laying things out of like, yeah, no, there's there's a lot of depth to me and there's a lot of pain. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. I, I agree with that. And I think they've mentioned that she's been there the longest and she's seen mm-hmm. a lot of death. Yeah. And I think that adds to her character and, and how that armor that she has up and that harshness that comes across, you know, and I, I feel like, yeah, she can be a little harsh. That's for sure. She can definitely go over the line. She can be very cutting with her words sometimes and that's sometimes hard to take and even just watching and not having it directed to you it's hard to watch i'm like dang anya you know it's it's a little harsh it's a little cutting you don't have to go that far with what you just said or something but i do feel there's more to her and it's really hard for me to judge someone who's a kid who has a terminal illness and has been through the things that she's been through who am i to judge for how they're deciding to process the fact that they're dying you know Mm -hmm. and facing their their mortality and also you know maybe there's a part of her that puts a wall up to getting to know anyone too uh too well or forming such deep relationships even though i think that she has formed some deep relationship relationships with some of the kids there with the exception of alonka at the moment but and it's probably because like she knows she's going to lose them or else she's going to be gone. It could be any of them at any time. So yeah, I agree. I think there's a lot to her and I, I, I like her and I'm like, well, I'm not going to judge, uh, you know, her because she's going through something I would never have to imagine. Um, right. So yeah, I, I'll add to that, that 
that story was more of a, a small note for me. Um, even though I really enjoyed it, I thought it was interesting because I, I wondered how much of the real Anya we got to see in the story mm-hmm. of the two Danas. You know, we learned that Dana is from Ireland. I feel like Anya probably is too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, was she accepted in the ballet like Dana? Unknown, but possible. Very possible she could have uh, been a ballet dancer. And whatever it was, what you know, whatever her story was and however close to the truth or not truth that this story was, whether it was either dance or cancer that took away her ability to lead a normal life. Because in the story, it was her ballet, right, that kind of took her mm-hmm. away. Like she had to focus on that so much that she didn't get to go have the fun things. That's why she chose and made that decision to make that other self to be able to go and live those things that she didn't get to do because she was so dedicated to her ballet. Um, So whether it was, you know, dance or just cancer that took away this normal life, if you will, and for her to be able to go and lead the life that she wanted, whether it's, you know, cut short or taken away from her because she's so dedicated to the ballet, you know, whatever it was, she did lose a leg. you know, in the end. So I don't know. I thought it was a very interesting um, story. I was, I thought it was really entertaining. I really liked it. Um, I thought she did a great job. I thought Heather Langenkamp did a really great job as the devil. Um, And, you know, was interesting that it was her that was for, in her story was the devil. But I think that that's kind of accurate. I think Anya kind of sees Dr. Stanton as a bit of like a mother figure and it would be easy to kind of portray that onto someone you think of like your parental figure so i really liked it and so yeah i I feel like there's definitely some truth to anya's real story in in that one yeah that was deep pate dang (laughs) there's probably you know i i feel like you're you're on the nose with something there because um you know, it's it's easy to say, oh, that was a really great, you know, kind of cautionary tale, right? And, you know, not that the devil's really going to come and let you clone yourself or something and, yeah. and do that. But it's, you know, like you said, I think there was a bit of a deeper meaning to that and where there normally are with a lot of these Mike Flanagan right. shows. So with it being, yeah, Flanagan, I'm really trying to, we're getting these kind of stories that are told by each of these kids each week. I'm I'm really like, yeah, I'm going to have to dig into these and see what they mean, because it's going to be a lot more than just surface level horror story. Like, because it's like you said, it's Flanagan. Like we've come to expect, like there's going to be metaphor upon metaphor upon like social discourse with all of it, you know. And I'm glad I got you here for it because I did not go that deep. <laughs> so I'm glad I got you here to do the the hard work for me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'll I'll tag onto that on my next point. And that's just the storytelling itself. I've enjoyed so far. In the first episode, we got us well, I guess we kind of got a story and a half, two stories, whatever it was, and then this one we got a story. So I'm liking this theme. It's like, okay, so we're going to get a story every episode, right? I hope. Um hope so. and I'm liking it so far. And I think what's interesting and what I find interesting and unique about the stories is I like how this Midnight Club Uh, has given a platform to these kids and how there's a bit of ambiguity there because 
this gives the kids this freedom to tell as little or as much about themselves as they want. You know, if you don't want to share what scares you, then you can just tell an outrageous story full of jump scares that are so ridiculous Mm -hmm. that they end up being funny, you know, then that's okay. And that was like um, Natsuki's story, right, last week, where it was Mm -hmm. just, you know, uh, wasn't really very scary at all. And it had all the jump scares to it, which were more ridiculous than, you know, anything. But it it, kind of made it great at the same time, knowing that it was kind of a, you know, an in-your-face kind of thing. Um, But then there was, you know, I think in this week, because I do feel there was some truth there in the two Danas in uh, we got a little bit of a a window into Anya's story. You know, there's something freeing also about opening up and revealing some of your true self, which I think is what Anya was doing. Yeah. Um, So I really like that. And I'm interested to see what other stories the kids are going to tell. Um, and how much it might be just something completely untrue, completely made up, you know, because when you, when you, it's a good way to, to tell something about yourself without making it seem like it's, it's about yourself, right? Like, it's like, this is just a story. It has nothing to do with me. And it can, it can be very freeing to do that. Um, and maybe that's what Anya was doing a little bit, trying to give a peek into herself without it being about her. It's about the two Danas. It's not about Anya, right? Yeah. So I like that. I like how they're like approaching um, that in this mm-hmm. episode or in this series, I should say. So quick note about that, that I'm enjoying that. I'm like, oh, so you can just kind of play it how you want to. Yeah. Tell as little or as much about yourself. Um, what's your next point? All right. Uh, my last point. Because uh, we haven't talked enough about Anya, so let's keep going. Because, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because my other point was more about just that story. But then I had like a whole other point about just her outside of that and kind of the arc we see of her here in this episode. Um, where the episode starts, the very beginning. See, it's not just Alanka who is having these visions and dreams. Uh, we see Anya waking up from a dream of the living shadow. But is that only after Alanka arrived? Or have the others been having these dreams also, or at least Anya? Or is this something that now mm-hmm. that Alanka's here, now the others are going to start seeing things or having them? We don't have an answer on that, whether these dreams have happened before do or after. So I'm not sure. Do you see it? <laughs> do you see it? When like before you die, is it like a omen yeah, kind, of kind of thing? Yeah, kind of a harbinger. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, because yeah, she said know. that and her roommate Rachel kept seeing mm-hmm. shadows before she died. So I'm like, yeah. well, now Anya's starting to see them as a some sort of like omen that you know, right? Which makes me sad because I don't want Anya to go yet. Yeah, I don't need, I need her around. Um, yeah. Uh, then Anya's a little annoyed, if you want to call it that, about the whole tea thing. <laughs> Just a, a little, little peeved. Um, <laughs> uh, just, I mean, straight up patronizing Alanka about it. They're like, oh, really? They spelled her name backwards. Wow. It's different and new. Oh, wow. And Who would have thought? You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, but it does seem after a while, the, after, you know, the locket is found and they had this little moment. Then I was wondering, it seemed like she really was interested because she goes, well, tell me more about your teeth. 
And so it's like, oh, they're bonding. And then later at group therapy, it's like, oh, no, she just wanted as much ammo as she could have to really lay into her. Uh, and just. Yeah. And the whole tea thing was just a catalyst of like, here's where I really get to jab at Alonka. Mm-hmm. Uh, man. Poor Lanka, she just can't win. <laughs> no. Uh, and then there's, yeah, a, a little bit, which going again, because I, I skipped over little things to get to group. Uh, but while I'm talking about the group therapy, yeah, uh, I liked her bummer sweatshirt, by the way. It's like she traveled to 2022 <laughs> to get in that, because that's very much what people are rocking nowadays, which I like. Uh, um, really? Yeah. Must uh, be out of but, the loop. <laughs> I'm old. But yeah, as she's talking about, she uses that again, that tea is like a catalyst to then just rant about, uh, she's definitely got some stuff to get off her chest, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Through all the roommates, uh, you know, and other people she's had in her room, she has seen a lot of woo in her time, right? Uh, just all kinds of crazy natural remedies and stuff, or even she's like, you know, urine, like <laughs> urine therapy. We're, I've seen it all and I'm sick of it. So it's like, it's almost like she's the T is the beginning of it. And she's like, no, no, <laughs> we're not going, we're not doing this again. Not one more. Um, just a lot to get off her chest there. Uh, but interesting again, to Alonka's, know that she's done a little of that herself. She started that way too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was interesting. Um, of course, Alonka's insulted. Uh, but I think she's realizing Alonka is fitting in a little bit. I like that Stanton even gives a smile. She's like, yeah, Alonka's fitting into this family a little bit. Uh, Because Alonka's figured out the best way to win Anya over is to dish it right back. I I think she appreciates that even in the moment. She's kind of pissed about it. But you see, they kind of get a little closer when Alonka's able to fire back and and really, you know, kind of get in, get get her jabs back i mm-hmm. love that line you see the rest of the group and like i said even stanton smiling where alonka says i get it you're a no on the t and a maybe on the piss uh <laughs> 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 i loved uh, that was really great <laughs> yeah uh the locket was an interesting kind of thing uh you know alonka finds it and anya kind of is implying that it's hers but then we find out later it belonged to rachel and there's some kind of importance to it or at least where, you know, it, it reminds her of maybe her and Rachel did get along before the witchcraft and the, you know, different things that maybe it was somebody that she kind of bonded with or got closer to just for it to end the way that always does. And that's kind of just hardened her again. Well, and, you you know, we were talking earlier about how protective she is just about Spence and probably the rest of the group, too, if if if. Mm-hmm need be if if the need arises i'm sure she would be um because i think kevin even mentioned it like she's a little protective of us i mean i feel like that that's when you start to see that core of who anya really is yes she's brash she's sometimes downright rude uh sometimes um but she i think truly cares for the ones around her and i think this was a demonstration of that protectiveness even as she was kind of talking a little crap about rachel and oh getting into Mm -hmm. witchcraft and drawing pentagrams under the bed and seeing shadows before you know she died she was kind of just always rolling her eyes about it but when it came to that pendant you know you kind of see in my opinion the real anya there that's Mm -hmm. why i'm i'm a little less harsh about right how she is because i'm like yeah she's she's a marshmallow she's soft and gooey yeah Yeah, she's soft and gooey on the inside (laughs) she's got to get to it uh (laughs) 
Yeah, and, and the making sure that she goes to Stanton or has Stanton, you know, take the the jewelry and make sure get it back to her mom, even if they haven't even been asking about it. I'm sure that they've just overlooked it or haven't even thought about it, but I'm sure it would mean the world to them to have it back. So yeah. that's what she's focused on there, and I like that. Of course, then talking about Rachel and the living shadow, then what's the first thing that happens to Anya after she releases this pendant back to Stanton and Stanton leaves? Um, she has this encounter with the living shadow herself and not while well, just in a dream or a vision. Uh, fork and shadow, man. That's man. some good. Mu- See, now that's the kind of scares I appreciate from Mike Flanagan. <laughs> right. Uh, I love the way that it starts because it's, she notices like this most subtle, maybe movement of the shadow figure on the wall. Like it was so subtle that even me as a viewer was like, I'm not completely sure it even moved at all, but I think it maybe did. Like it was so. Well, and it had, I feel like the, just the shape of it changed. Like it looked like a shape almost like of a person on the wall. Right. And then did it alter? Like when she looked back at it, did it alter in any way? I don't know. My eyes, I have to be sure I'm wearing my glasses. Yeah. Like you feel like, Um, yeah, like you feel like maybe it did, but I'm also not a hundred percent sure. Like, but it's like, this is like weird vibe. Uh, and then what happens next, of course, is not subtle at all. Uh, no, where we kind of get the shadows me. like sucking back into the bathroom and then forming this shadowy figure of Anya with the red glowing eyes, which scares her pretty good. And then it's just gone. So, yeah, again, if this thing is kind of the the harbinger of death that Rachel seemed to be talking about it, and Anya's been thinking about and talking about. I don't like that. That doesn't bode well. <laughs> no. I don't know if that's what it is or not, but I appreciated, regardless of the meaning that you take uh, out of her seeing it, it scared the hell out of me, which I appreciated. I, I wasn't ex- expecting it. Even though, I mean, we saw it and yes, it like, oh yes, it's kind of making shape in the bathroom, but some about those gosh damn glowing eyes. <laughs> you know, similar things like from Midnight Mass, remember? Uh, right. It was like, ah, you know, always kind of made me <laughs> jump quite a lot in uh, Midnight Mass. But it, was in the, it wasn't overused or anything, and it was subtle, and it was very well done, and in, in my opinion, a very creepy way that got me every single time, even whenever I knew right. it was coming. So I, I really loved it. It was a nice little touch, mm-hmm. which was... Interesting because the shadow figure, she sees it in the bathroom and it had the glowing eyes. And then she later tells the story of the two Danas. And when mm-hmm. she, in the story, Dana, the, the she sees the devil, isn't it, in her bathroom and she sees the glowing eyes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, again, that's why I was like, she's. I feel like she's sprinkling her own truth in that story. I don't know how much right. of the truth or what part of the truth, but she's taking something, uh, you know, real. And her own experiences in this story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, so to kind of wrap up, I guess my last point there on Anya is I did like that we got kind of a character arc of really seeing that, yeah, she's hard and tough, but yeah, she's got the the soft gooey center if you can get to it. And we see kind of how both both sides of that is she's being hard on Alanka. But again, Alanka kind of jabs back at her at group therapy, and you see her kind of like that look on her face like shocked, but also like Maybe you're all right, kid. You know, like there's yeah. this like little approval. And then, yeah. And then later back in the room, of course, uh, Alanka does give a little bit more to her. Uh, 
lets Anya know that her snark is too much sometimes. Uh, he's like, we get it. Nobody's as you know depressed as you are. Nobody's in as much pain as you are. He goes, nobody's dying quite as hard as you are, which as she says that, and there's the Bruce Willis diehard die hard poster, poster on the wall, literally right between them. <laughs> and then Anya responds with yippee ki yay, motherfucker. Which, <laughs> perfect. Absolutely perfect. It was a fun little moment. Uh, and then Alanka with that, you know, fuck me, I guess. Fuck me for trying to get to know you. And uh, you could tell that affected Anya. Mm-hmm. Exactly what she maybe needed to hear, you know, what it'll take there to kind of start mending things between them. Is realizing like, okay, yeah. Um, Maybe I'm. Maybe it's a little too much. Uh, and then maybe that's what causes her to tell the story she does. She's like, okay, you know, she's trying to get to know me. If she can read between the lines of my story, I'm gonna let her get to know me a little bit tonight. Yeah, you know, crack that rough exterior a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then of course, you know, this is that, that soft. Okay, she's ex- she's is, you know, explaining herself a little bit. She's putting a lot of herself in that story. And at the end of the story, Sandra saying, you know, what I was thinking, you know, thanks for letting you see, uh, see who Anya really is a little bit. But in classic Anya fashion, she's going to wrap that up with, can I tell you something else? Fuck off. <laughs> 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 Which Sandra doesn't take it personally. I like that she was like, how did I expect anything different? Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That was good. Yeah. That was good. So, yeah. I'm a big Anya fan. I like her. <laughs> I like her. I I do wish she wouldn't be as hard sometimes and, and as cutting, but um, mm-hmm. I get it. Yeah. That was great. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what more we learn and uh, if we learn anything more about that shadow thing. And I hope it doesn't mean something ominous as far as, you know, uh, something happening to Anya. Uh, well, my last point, um, I saw, uh, Netflix had published the references, um, uh, a lot of nineties references for the episodes. So I thought I would go through some of them. Hmm. They're not all nineties. They, they said they were nineties, but there's a couple like from the eighties. So they may not all be nineties uh, things and they had them divided out by episode. And since I didn't have this until this week, um, I thought I'd go over um, episode one and um, references oh, cool. for this episode as well. Some of these we might have talked about, so I'll try not to be too repetitive. Um, in episode one, um, there, when we were first introduced to Alanka, there was a shot of the posters on her bedroom wall, and um, and there were many, um, and you can get a glimpse of a lot of early uh, '90s uh, concert lineups. But one of them that she had was Pearl Jam and Nirvana opening for the Red Hot Chili Peppers. That was a real concert. Um, that took place January 2nd, nice. 1992 in Salem, Oregon. So, which wouldn't have, I don't think, been too far for um, Alonka. She was in Sacramento, that where she was from before she went to Brightview. So, mm-hmm. that's got to be somewhat close ish yeah. to Oregon. Um, a dance hit from 1992 um, titled Connected. Um, arguably, um, uh, one of the most popular singles from the band Stereo MCs. You might recognize it from the movie Hackers, which starred Angelina Jolie and Johnny Lee Miller. There was a Breakfast Club reference. I think Jason last week in his feedback mentioned um, liking the Breakfast Club reference. So if no one else picked up on mm-hmm. it, which I did, I was proud to. I didn't mention it in my notes, but I, I picked up on it when I was watching the show. Um, the jock, the nerd, the weirdo, the criminal, or the princess. 
Um, uh-huh. That was a subtle reference to John Hughes' um, 85 movie, The Breakfast Club, uh, where the teen, all the teen stars call themselves uh, a brain, an athlete, a basket case, a princess, and a criminal. Um, one of Stone Temple Pilots' biggest hits, Interstate Love Song, reached number one on the Billboard Rock Charts in 1994, and it remained there for 15 weeks, making it an instant classic of the era. That was prom- um, played in that episode, episode one. Uh, we got to see Tim's car, uh, a Volvo wagon. Um, in case you didn't know, that was one of the most iconic automobiles of the 90s, <laughs> the Volvo 940 wagon. It was first introduced in 1990 and went out of production in 1995, though it remains a common sight on the roads today. That's because I think those Volvos just never die. I don't know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they just go and go. Um, the CD case. Anyone know... Young folk out there know what a CD is anymore. Um, so <laughs> CD was short for compact discs. That was one of the most popular ways to play music in the 80s and 90s before they were rendered obsolete through M- uh, MP3 players or, I guess, iPods. Um, CD cases were a storage solution and a way to show off your musical taste. Um, and of course, I had just the biggest full of some. Like it was like a suitcase. Full. I have no flipping pages of cds i bet yours was massive and you probably had more than Uh, one um yeah 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 i'd get one and then i would outgrow it i'd I'd fill it and be like okay i gotta upgrade to another one (laughs) mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i remember i i had one for cds now i very slowly transitioned from cassettes to cds i didn't have as much of a cd collection as what i had a cassette collection i did have a cassette uh, case, I guess. Yeah, I had like a briefcase full of cassettes too. Yes, I, I kind of got passed down to me from my dad, but I had a lot of them. Through, yeah. Yes, that was. <laughs> I loved that so much. You just flip it open, and you just had all your cassettes all lined up. Like, yeah, this is what I got. It was like you know, it was amazing. But yes, uh, in the um, late eighties and nineties, um, we had CDs. We talked about the dial-up modem sound. Uh, so that was mentioned here again. Uh, not many folks know what the heck that is uh, and will never feel the pain of right. the dial up noise. <laughs> and please don't pick up the phone to make a call or hope no one called you while mm-hmm. you were on dial up. So Alanka, she researched Brightcliff using Yahoo. Mm-hmm. Uh, very uh, in its day, a pioneering Internet search engine that was launched in 1995. Of course. Google came around and kind of kicked Yahoo off that list. Um, portable CD player. When Alanka first met Kevin, he was listening to music on a portable CD player. Um, the first of those devices was the Sony Discman, which was released in 1984. They replaced portable cassette players. Um, so don't see those anymore. That's for sure. <laughs> you had to get the one with like the, the non-skip technology, right? Yeah. <laughs> did they even work though <laughs> sometimes but not great <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so some of the classic games street fighter 2 doctor who pinball tetris and galaga uh were featured as well um big arcade games uh in the 90s i know we've talked a lot about some of the old uh arcade games from of course when we cover stranger things because arcade was a big big part of the show mm. Um, 
Collective Soul, the movie, or sorry, the song Shine, which was released in 1993. Yeah. It became the number one album um, on rock track of 1994. So that was big. So in this episode, episode two, as you mentioned, um, one of our favorite characters, Kevin, is a fan of Radiohead. Um, and he, how he was joking that um, exit music um, was, you know, proper for a funeral. Um, Road to Nowhere. The, there's a book that um, uh, Natsuki was reading uh, through the intercom when she was reading to Tristan. Um, mm-hmm. It was The Road to Nowhere by Christopher Pike. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I noted that too. I was like, kind of meta, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, of course, we talked earlier about the Sony PlayStation. So, first introduced in America in the fall of 1995, Sony PlayStation was one of the first CD-based gaming systems to find success. It sold over 100 million units. I know mine was one of those 100 million, um, which eventually spawned, we know, a whole series of successors, including the PS2 in 2000, um, which, again, oh, God, I love that PS. I love the original, that PS2. I played it into the ground, man. So many good mm-hmm. games on the PS2. Um, and in this episode, uh, Amish muses that one of his bigger, bigger regrets is he won't get to use the system before he dies, um, saying he's similarly upset about the Nintendo 64, which wouldn't be released in the U.S. until 1997. So much of my childhood put into a Nintendo 64. Oh, my God. <laughs> I loved that 64. Uh, Loved it. So many good games on the 64. Yes. Oh, it takes me back. Which they're all available on Switch now, like different like, forms of them. Like, and they look the exact same and play this. Really? Same, just well, ported onto it, Switch, which is so good. And we still have a lot of these games, by the way. We've still got our original PlayStation. We've got the PS2. Uh, we've got our old Nintendo, as many of our old Nintendos. Um, not all out here and plugged in and ready to go, but we still have them. It's mm-hmm. we're kind of hoarders when it comes to our gaming <laughs> consoles in this house. Um, moving on, MacGyver. So Sandra said she had a hyacinth macaw named MacGyver because his voice sounds like Richard T. Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone remember MacGyver, the TV series? I loved MacGyver. Um, if you didn't know, he was a do-gooder who could kind of rig up anything with give him some, uh, a paper clip and some duct tape or, you know, whatever that dude could come out of any situation. That show. I still use it as a verb today. Pretty regular. Oh, totally. You MacGyver something. You know? <laughs> yeah, he's he's definitely become, uh, you know, just part of the mainstream pop culture um well that show ran from 1985 to 1992 it was later rebooted um i don't know that it did as well but i know i, I watched macgyver mm-hmm. almost every week anyway you mentioned the yippee motherfucker from the Die Hard movie mm-hmm. that was first heard in 1988 it's been called one of the greatest one-liners in movie history uh the 1,000 paper cranes. Uh, Amish's friends help him fold 1,000 uh, origami paper cranes based on a Japanese myth that granted the folder a wish from the gods. That story was part of Eleanor Kaur's 1977 historical children's novel, uh, Sadako and the Thousand Paper Cranes, in which a young girl with leukemia caused by radiation from the atomic bombing of Hiroshima attempts the task, hoping to be cured. Uh, and we mentioned an interview with the vampire. That was the movie Mark repeatedly was recommending to Spence. That film was uh, released in 1994. He was, of course, going over that plot in detail. Again, go watch it. It's, it's 
great. Um, and that's it. It's all the little call outs that I've got uh, more to come nice. uh, for next week. Um, that was my last like kind of big, kind of long point. Um, <laughs> what do you, fun, what do you have for notes? All right. Uh, let's see what I got. We haven't talked about um, I, the pre need Alonka talking with Dr. Stanton. Oh, wow. And some of the stuff with that. Uh, yeah. It's important to have. Um, but then some of the fun stuff, of course, Amesh is what would put something ridiculous in his. Although she says, yeah, he <laughs> said he wanted his body to be fired out of a cannon into a shark tank. She's like, but we, we made a compromise with how about a memorial plaque at the aquarium? It's like, yeah, that's, <laughs> um, it's good. Compromise. I'm not Santa Claus. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, Alonka starts talking to Dr. Stanton about Julia Jane and the Paragon, and she's asking questions about these things, and man, was Stanton acting dodgy and shady about that stuff. She sure was. Uh, very dismissive and, yeah, <laughs> awkward about it. Clearly, those are some very touchy slash secretive subjects to her. She uh, knows something. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we mentioned Natsuki and Tristan. I had them note about the book. She got that in there. Good. Uh <laughs> Uh, still that sorry <laughs> yeah no it's fine um random note i thought the captions were doing better until about did like, they do better this week of the way, <laughs> a little bit uh, until like a third <laughs> of the way into the episode and then nope then they got real wrong again uh the two that i noticed uh when when uh amesh was going through the consoles and he's like nes it was like and yes i'm like no <laughs> No, it's like it's like transcribing. I'm like, no, this is not. It's <laughs> like someone is when, talking uh, into Surrey and <laughs> Exactly. It's like text to speech because when um and it ruins the effect of some of the stuff because uh one of them when Anya is saying, and guess what? You're in therapy. And it said you're like Y O U Yes, I apostrophe R E. You're in therapy. And it's like uh. <laughs> oh no, that's not what they no, that's mean. Not what right. <laughs> yes, I remember uh. that. <laughs> I was getting, it kind of took yeah. me out of it a little bit. Um <laughs> Right. So still not better on the captions. <laughs> We're messing with this pake. It's on purpose right. now. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah, we mentioned the paper cranes a little bit, which another just funny line where I'm I'm just, I've always wanted to do it since I heard about it this morning from Natsuki. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like and she's like, I knew the moment I said it, I knew. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh <laughs> lesson learned. Yep. Uh to those before, to those after, to us now and to those beyond. Seen or unseen, here but not here. I'm hoping that we get that in full every episode before stories and i'm able to recite it with them because it's just fun and I like it, it is fun uh, <laughs> and, and lastly just the very end of the episode i just kind of take a little note about uh with alanka having another it was like a weirder kind of vision because like she's walking down the hall and then it just turns into this like old timey look kind of mm-hmm. very you know old school with a picture on the wall and creepy old woman again with spiders and I'm starving and whatever's going on. I don't know. But then when she kind of comes to and it's Kevin there, (laughs) what the actual fuck credits. That's, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) it was fun. I like that. Creepy. Still need to know what's going on. (laughs) Yeah. I want to see more. Want to see more. 
That was great. I I don't have too much more to add, but um, I did like his Before I Die list because bucket list wasn't a thing yet. Like it wasn't coined. Like uh-huh. like now we would just say bucket list, right? And if you say bucket list, everyone yeah. knows what uh-huh. it is. But that wasn't a thing yet. I don't think because I think it came from the movie, right? Like didn't we get kind of get the term bucket list from the movie bucket list and like oh that okay so So it's just a before i die list (laughs) makes sense um one thing i noticed and i don't know if this was on purpose or not but when uh anya was telling the story about the two danas in dana's bedroom her headboard looked a lot like carol ann's headboard from poltergeist it's very distinctive nice (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if that was intentional. I don't know, but I I guess I can't really spoil the movie. Come on, it's like freaking 1980. Is it 82 or 84? God, I'm aging myself. But either way, very early 80s. One of my favorite movies, by the way. Uh, and of course, I say that and I can't even remember the freaking year it comes out, but I'm running on fumes here with lack of sleep. Um, a lot happens in that bedroom. Uh, with Carol Ann and all the spooky happenings. Um, so it really stands out and scared the hell out of me as a kid. So I don't know if it was intentional, but it reminded me of it. Um, there was foreshadowing in Anya's story as well. When that ballerina doll that she had, mm-hmm. when it hit the floor and it, it its leg chipped off, fell off. And Anya yeah. also in real life lost a leg. Um, so. Kind of sad little note there. I th- think that is all, all that I have that we haven't already talked about. So I think that was great. I, I'm I'm glad that we enjoyed this episode um, a little bit. I I know mm-hmm. for me it was, I was a little worried last week, kind of on the fence, but um, I really enjoyed this one. So I'm looking forward to more. All right. Well, let's get into listener feedback. All right. Let's see, first one we've got here is from Don Elizabeth. It says, I'm very interested to see where this is all going. I'm liking the characters. Is Anya's bullying due to her grief? I enjoyed her Dana story. I think Kevin is a good guy, but I'm not sure. I was thrilled to see the actress from Midnight Mass. I look forward to seeing more of her and learning more of what she's about. Will she end up being as despicable as her other character, Bev, I think? Was that her name in Midnight Mass? Yes, yes it was. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I loved the forest where she met Alanka. That is my kind of place. The hallway scene at the end was delightfully scary. What's with this creepy stuff Alanka keeps seeing? I can't wait to find out. And edit, I feel like such a dummy after listening to your coverage of episode one. I didn't recognize anyone from Midnight Mass. I'm definitely going to watch it again. Also, when you talked about Kevin possibly crawling out of the scene, I got chills. Gonna look for that too. <laughs> <laughs> I I am probably very wrong. I feel like Peaky probably had a really good explanation for that. I think it was just <laughs> a, a weird little production glitch thing. Yeah. Um but still just very <laughs> odd. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Don. That was great. Jennifer Camillary says, I enjoyed this one, especially the two Dana story. Cool to see Heather Langenkamp as the devil. I like Anya's character. Pretty sure she and Alanka will become friends at some point and then she'll die. 
Who was that girl that was getting more intensive treatment? Had we seen her before? I'm liking the 90s vibe of this show and the camaraderie between all the kids. Please don't kill off Kevin, which means they will. Mm. Yeah, we don't want that either. We like Kevin. Nope. Yeah. Yeah, we and just we didn't talk about her too much, but we did mention Tristan um, that we hadn't met her before. I'm assuming that was um, Natsuki's roommate before she had to move into this other treatment room, I think. Um, But I don't know that. But yeah, we don't know anything about her. It's the first time we met her. Mm -hmm. And this one comes from Maureen Favo says, enjoyed this episode, specifically the two Dana story, but worried Anya might not be around long. Wish there had been more YA books and movies and TV when I was this age. So far, this story is working for adults, but keep reminding myself it's not necessarily fair to view the same as Midnight Mass or Haunting of Hill House. It's true. It's true. Mm -hmm. It's been helping me. All right. We did get an email this week from our good friend Daphne. She says, hi, Rima and Paik. I'm loving this series so far. So I decided to revisit the book while I'm watching. It's only 233 pages, but I'm not reading ahead. I thought I'd share a few general differences. Oh, this will be fun. Um, She says, the book starts after Alonka has already come to the facility, which is called Rotterdam Home, not Brightcliff. Alonka has a type of uterine cancer that's spread, not thyroid cancer. So far, Spencer said uh, he has a brain tumor, not AIDS. The head of Rotterdam Home is called Dr. White, while Brightcliff is run by Dr. Stanton. The Midnight Club um, has only five members, and the book starts after Alonka has already joined. Uh, the characters of Natsuki, Amish, and Sherry are all new for the show, as are Shasta and Mike, played by Zach Guilford. Wondering if Mike Flanagan created this role just for him after working with him on Midnight Mass. I don't know that, but uh, I wouldn't be mad about it because right. I need more Zach Guilford. Um, she goes on, so far in the book, I've only encountered one story and it isn't one that's been covered on the show yet, so I'm not going into detail about it. The two Danas hasn't been told yet. There are other things that have happened in the book so far, but I'm not sure if the show will include them, so I'm keeping mum on it for now. If it's okay, I can keep sharing tidbits like this as we move through the story. Looking forward to hearing what you guys think. As always, Daphne. Of course. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, I think that's really great because I think she did the same thing when we were doing Lisey's story as well. Mm-hmm. She like had just read the book and so was kind of giving that. It's kind of we've got Daphne on our unofficial book talk section here. <laughs> exactly. <like> <laughs> yes. Daphne, whether you like it or not, you are now our <laughs> book talk aficionado and expert. <laughs> no, that's great. That's interesting um, because I, I've probably, like I said, God, I don't. Look, that was a gazillion years ago for me. Um, I don't remember this particular book, but I'm sure I probably picked up a Christopher Pike book somewhere along the line here and there. I don't. I know I didn't read all of them, but I know I had to have picked up one or two because they're t- they were totally my vibe. You know, Arl Stein, Christopher Pike. Yeah, um, all about that. Thank you, Daphne. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we did get a couple. Of voice messages as well. So I think the first one that we have is from our friend Jade. So let's see what she has to say. 
Hello, Rima and Paik. So, okay, I guess this show is winning me over because because of Ruth Cod, man. She is a really good actress. I'm enjoying her so much. I was totally heartbroken when Anya woke up, oh my gosh, with her leg amputated. And when she said she didn't know which Anya she was, I mean, my heart just broke for her, man. I really enjoyed her whole story. Again, I don't love the writing in this because I don't think that Mike Flanagan is particularly good at writing for young people. I just don't think young people talk like this the way that they talk. Um, but but yeah, Ruth Cotton especially, she's making it really, really great. And that orgasm scene, man, on the couch was so funny. She is she's got she's got it all, man. She can do it all. She's a great actress. And I loved Anya's story mirroring her life in a really cool way because it her illness made her kind of feel like a drug addict. And I know Kevin was saying, oh, you, maybe you have a drug problem and maybe she feels like her illness kind of has made her a drug addict because now she's dependent on painkillers. And the way that she was talking about feeling, you know, like two different people, like before your diagnosis and after. And she just, the when she said, I just want to be who I was before. Oh, man. And, you know, since Anya seems to be the leader of the Midnight Club, I thought the story was a clever way to reveal Anya's true feelings that clearly she can't explain this anger in therapy. Um, therapy doesn't work for her. She she is cynical about it. And I feel like Midnight Club is kind of her form of therapy. Like she gets her feelings out to her friends and her peers, like through telling these ghost stories. So I thought that was really, really great way to show that. Also, I loved that it was a very clever way to portray the devil, like the way that the devil has to do so little, like make so little effort just to, to cause someone so much pain just by giving someone what they want and then just standing by and watching while they just hurt themselves and they just are their own undoing. You know, the devil did nothing to her and just took everything from her. I just loved it and thought it was great. Now we see Anya's having like these same nightmares and she's having these visions of these shadowy creatures and figures and everything, probably what Rachel saw before she died. So I'm wondering if maybe these like shadowy figures and everything are like the harbinger of death, kind of like the, it reminded me of like the cat and in going into people's beds and like laying on their bed in doctor sleep. So I do have to make a prediction here and I do predict that Anya is going to be the first to die and I'm really upset about it. But you know, she's been there the longest. It stands to reason. And I just can't wait to see because if anyone's coming back to tell them that, you know, the afterlife is real and like to give them some kind of a message, it's going to be Anya. So I'm very excited to see where that goes. I also did think I wanted to add how interesting I thought it was that she did make Dr. Stanton the devil in her story. And she says that Dr. Stanton is not what people, she's not what everybody thinks. So how does Anya know that about Dr. Stanton? Like, what does she know about Dr. Stanton? What is going on with Dr. Stanton? And getting into Dr. Stanton, this is one of the parts of the storytelling that is not working for me because it's like super tropey and it's really obvious and in your face that like she's supposed to be bad and she's supposed to be evil. Like when Alonka asks her about um, Jane and she very clearly is lying and being sketchy and hiding something like why not cover that better why not like show us you know the reaction like maybe with her back to Alonka like she shows her face go oh no I don't oh shit she's fine she's asking questions that I don't want to answer but then why not turn to Alonka and just be like oh yeah that yeah it wasn't a mystical magical thing that happened to her it was just a misdiagnosis like why would she why is she making it so obvious to Alonka that 
there's something sketchy going on. And also, why were those files like so easy for Alanka to just open the drawer? And, and I mean, she had to break into her office, but she was they, they weren't in a locked cabinet or anything. It just feels like if you're trying to hide something, why are you being so obvious about it? And why are you not keeping those very important files under lock and key? I don't know what's going on here. And yeah, Rima, when you were saying in last podcast, um, how is the group funded? I was wondering the same thing in the first episode. I was like, what the how, how is Dr. Stanton getting all this money? Where is all this money coming from to keep these kids here? I don't know. I want to know, though. Also, we get Samantha Sloyan. Oh, my gosh. I loved her in Midnight Mass. I loved her in Hill House. I love her in everything. She's a great actress. Um, I predict that she is not a real person because of the writing. Again, the writing's not great. And everyone was like, I've never seen her. Have you seen her? Has anyone else seen this woman in the woods? Anyone? Anyone seen her? I'm like, okay, obviously she's not real. She's some kind of supernatural being or something. Um, but I can't wait to see where that goes. And I'm just excited that Samantha Sloyan is in this. Yay. Also got another kind of reference when she said that um, Ilanka shined. I was like, ooh, another Stephen King reference here. Like, I'm feeling shining vibes. So that was kind of, that was funny. And then something I thought about from last week or a couple of things from last episode, um, Ilanka's story that she told in the first episode, it kind of had the foreshadowing quality. It mirrored her own life because she has visions of everyone's death. Like that's what's going on in Alonka's mind right now. She's seeing everyone dying. And it was kind of like the girl in her story who was able to tell the date of everyone's death. So I thought that was a cool connection. And then I wanted to bring up the um, Natsuki's story. She had this line where she said, the music, the melody, it plays on and on and on in your mind. And I think we all forgot about that because of the screaming took over. But she did say that this music and melody plays and it gets stuck in your brain. And we keep hearing these musical refrains echoing over and over like this sweetly dreaming that's like uh, creepy music so I don't know if that has something to do with it I don't know if there's a connection there and then another thing is the vision of the hooded figure sitting at the table with the fire you know in the in the midnight club room they're doing um, a pagan hand gesture thing. And it kind of looks like that picture of Baphomet. Uh, it's like, a fa you know, the famous picture you, you see when you Google Baphomet. Like, both hands are palm open, and one is up and one is down. So it's like the as above, so below, um, oneself, and then the universe, macrocosm, microcosm thing. Um, it's a, you know, a very typical, like, mudra for witch witchcraft, you know, Wiccan. So I just wanted to point that out. Um, yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff going on. I'm excited for the next next episode, and I'm excited to hear what you guys have to say about it. All right, I'll talk to you later. Bye. That was great insight. I had no clue yeah. about <laughs> that last thing that she said. Now I got to go Google Google that if yeah. I can spell it right. I mean, I know what she's talking about. And yeah, as she said, I was like, oh, my God, I never made that connection. But yes, you're so right. So great. <laughs> Interesting. That was great, Jade. Thank you so much for mm -hmm. that uh, voicemail. A lot to think about. Um, hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think it's. I, I think she has Julia Jane, though. I mean, I, I, I see, I see that, but I think, I think it's a real person. And I even have a little bit more of a theory, but I don't know. I think it's a little bit too banana. So maybe I'll wait till the next episode if they don't, if they don't reveal it um, about <laughs> the story about the two Danas and Julia Jane. I'll wait. All right. All right. Thank you, Jade, so much. Um, look forward to hearing more from you.
Thank you everyone for taking the time uh, to write in and send those voice messages and sending those emails. We always look forward to hearing from you. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, next week uh, here on Strange Indeed, we are going to be covering episode three of the Midnight Club titled The Wicked Heart. Hmm. Ooh. <laughs> Again, no idea what to expect. No. But uh, maybe it's another story being told by someone. I don't know. Yeah, it could be the title of the story and might not really have anything to do with like the core story. It could be a fun, fun, scary story. I'm enjoying enjoying the little sprinkles of spookiness. Yeah. For sure. It's that time of year. Can't wait. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, if you would like to write in or leave us a message, you can find all of our contact information at podcastica.com. While you're there, uh, be sure to check out our other shows. Mm -hmm. And make sure to leave a review for Strange Indeed on Apple Podcasts. Always super helpful. Follow, subscribe, download, review. Do all the things. Everybody finds us. Do all the things. So, yeah. All the things. So people can find us. Yeah. We we appreciate it. Thank you if you've already done that. And thank you in advance. If you haven't, um, please go do that now. Uh, and speaking of great podcasts, make sure you check out Pake and Daphne uh, on their podcasts at Run For Your Lives. What's going on this week? All right. Uh yeah, same as uh, we kind of October is it over, yes, so we're still same. doing it. Uh, so this week will be the 2017 it, the first of the newer Andy Machete directed uh, movies. So well done with the uh, Bill Skarsgård Pennywise. Yeah. We're getting into that one. So that was a lot of fun. It might be our longest episode. I think we finally broke the record of when you came on for Jaws way back in season oh, one. So wow. I, we just ended up having a lot to talk about oh, with that good. one. I didn't even expect it, but, uh, but it was a fun one for sure. Well, it's a really, <laughs> you know, look, uh, that I don't do clowns. I've said it many times on the, on, on, um, on the show. Uh, and I, I, I went ahead and watched that one and it scared me in the best imaginable way. Uh, it was mm-hmm. great. So I'm sure it, it doesn't surprise me that you guys, you know, went so long to talk about it because there's a lot of great things to break down and talk about. Um, in that I really enjoyed that one as much as it scared the shit out of me, of course. (laughs) Well, that's awesome. Look forward to hearing that from you guys. All right. That is our show. Thanks for listening, everyone. Until next time. I'm Rima and I'm Pake. and Kara Rex is strange. Indeed.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.